John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured all to save But though he sleeps his life was lost while struggling for the slave His soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah glory, glory, Welcome hallelujah. to War of the Rebellion Stories of the Civil War. I am your host, Leon, and this is a reading of the history of the 72nd Indiana Volunteer Infantry of the Mounted Lightning Brigade, written and compiled by B.F. McGee. Chapter 7 August 23rd to August 30th, 1862 Colonel A.O. Miller takes command. A short sketch of our colonel. Elections. First alarm. First prisoners. Scarcity of water. The mess in Sibley tent. Are you a preacher? On the 23rd of August, while we were in Camp Lucy Carson, Lebanon, our new colonel, A.O. Miller, joined the regiment and immediately took command. As this gallant and able officer was with us all the time, participated in all the hardships, fights, and skirmishes of the regiment, it is proper to introduce him more fully, as we must meet him often. Abraham O'Miller was born in Madison County, Ohio, October 3, 1827. His parents removed to Clinton County, Indiana, in 1830, and both died in 1833. Young Abraham found a home with David Clark, a farmer on the Twelve Mile Prairie, with whom he lived and worked on the farm. When he grew up, he determined to be a doctor and read medicine, attended and graduated from the university at Louisville, Kentucky, in 1856. When Gross, Flint, Yondel, Miller, and others were professors in that institution, he was never a politician but voted for Pierce, Buchanan, and Douglas for president before the war. He was a true Jacksonian Democrat, holding the preservation of the Union as the sacred duty of every American citizen. And when the rebels assailed that Union, A.O. Miller, on the first call for troops, raised a company of three months' men for the 10th Indiana Volunteer Infantry, and served the full three months with it. After the Battle of Rich Mountain, he made the following report. Rich Mountain, Virginia, July 16, 1861 Colonel M. D. Manson, Dear Sir, in obedience to your order, On the morning of July the 12th, 1861, I proceeded in the rear of the cavalry down the road towards the enemy's camp. After passing the pickets of the 13th Regiment, the cavalry halted. I took Sergeant Allen and Privates Yargos, Amos, and others, throwing them out on the right as skirmishers. We ascertained the enemy had fled from their works on the hill. Being well convinced that there were no enemy in ambush from the fact that we found a large amount of camp equipage, two boxes of cannon ammunition, and several horse hitched, and everything indicating that the enemy had fled. I then sent Lieutenant Swirtle with others to the camp. He soon reported the enemy gone. 
My company then took possession of the camp and some prisoners. One Surgeon Taylor informed me that Lieutenant Watkins wished to surrender everything to me. Watkins came forward and gave me his sword, at the same time saying that there were a number in camp who he would surrender as prisoners of war. I took down the only flag I saw floating. I saw several in tents. I left Lieutenant Schwertle in charge of the camp and proceeded with the balance of the company to our camp left the day before, one quarter of a mile from the works. We met the German Regiment of Ohio Troop in their rear, and General McClellan and staff. I informed the General of the condition of affairs, turned 21 prisoners, and the camp over to the authorities, and further, Seth Knott. A.O. Miller, Captain, Company C, 10th Indiana Volunteers. General Manson claims that this was the first flag taken from rebel works at the commencement of the war, and that Captain Miller and his company of the 10th Indiana had the honor of taking it. At the expiration of three months' service, Captain Miller was mustered out with a splendid record as brave, calm, discreet officer. At the reorganization of the 10th Regiment, for the three years' service, he again raised a company and went into camp at Lafayette, was made major of the regiment, went with it to the front, and in the Battle of Mill Springs, Kentucky, was in command of three companies when the battle opened, and in the hottest of it all, and saw the rebel general Zollicoffer fall from his horse when pierced by the fatal shot. Major Miller was in command of the 10th Regiment from February 1862 to the time he left it, commanding it in the Buell Campaign at the Battle of Shiloh, at the Siege of Corneth, and the falling back of the regiment to Winchester, Tennessee, in Buell's retreat before Bragg. At Winchester, the Major was informed that he had been made Colonel of the 72nd. That was in August 1862. He had been promoted to the Lieutenant Colonelcy of the 10th, April 5th, 1862, and as he was much attached to that regiment, and was held in high esteem by his command and commanders, it was natural that he should hesitate to exchange his present and established position for a new and untried command, simply for the sake of one grade and rank. He sought the advice of that prince of men and soldiers, General George H. Thomas, and asked the general whether he should accept the colonelcy of the 72nd or remain lieutenant colonel of the 10th. General Thomas said, Do always what is asked of you. If it is right, Governor Morton gave you the regiment and duty says for you to take it. With such an answer, there was no parley and the young lieutenant-colonel sorrowfully, sorrowfully bade adieu to the gallant tenth, in which he had done all his service and gained all his promotion, and returned to Indiana to resign his lieutenant-colonel's commission and accept a commission as colonel of the 72nd. This he did from a sense of duty and not desire. Yet we believe he never regretted it. While making this important change in his military life, he thought it in an opportune time to make even a more important one in his civil life, and was married to Miss Mary Zion, one of the fairest and most accomplished ladies of the state, at Lebanon, Indiana, on August 21, 1862, Reverend John L. Smith officiating, 
He immediately joined his regiment, reported to General Dumont at Lebanon, Kentucky, on the 23rd of August, 1862, and assumed command. It is not amiss to say that Mrs. Miller accompanied her husband, the colonel, to Lebanon, Kentucky, and that the regiment became somewhat acquainted with her, and ever after took a deep interest in her welfare. The sort of commander Colonel Miller made the following pages will disclose. It has been very much desired by many in the regiment that all its officers, from the colonel to the corporals, should be selected from its own ranks. But it is fair to say that there was a slight feeling of disappointment when a man from another regiment was made our colonel. The fact that he was a tried and brave man was most satisfactory to the great majority. The officers called and paid their respects, and the colonel at once made the rounds of the camp, inspected it, and set at rights whatever was wanting. In a few days it was conceded that we had in him the right man in the right place. We shall be safe in asserting that soldiers look more carefully to their physical than to their spiritual wants. In the 72nd, both were considered of consequence. It was not long until many wished for a sutler who could supply them with some articles not furnished by Uncle Sam. For while the army rations were substantial, they did not embrace every delicacy. Those who were religiously disposed soon met and held services, and decided that we ought to have a chaplain. There were two very good preachers in the regiment, Captain Hill of Company I and Sergeant Priest of Company E, both of whom were willing to be chaplain of the regiment. The matter was to be settled by a vote of the commissioned officers, and they met on the night of August 28th, and elected Spence Sutler and Louis C. Priest chaplain. The latter was elected by a small majority, and several officers being on picket, and Company K having yet to report, for it had remained to be mustered at Indianapolis. Enough votes were secured from these absent officers after their return to camp to elect Captain Hill Chaplain, and he was soon after commissioned. With a sutler and chaplain, the regiment was not far from the kingdom. On the night of the 29th of August, the officers met at Colonel Miller's tent and elected Major Kirkpatrick Lieutenant Colonel and Adjutant Rice Major. Of course, this action was subject to the ratification of the authorities at Indianapolis. Colonel Kirkpatrick got his commission, but we know not why Adjutant Rice did not get his. But one thing we do know, it was not because he lacked in solidity of character or soldierly qualities. A few days after we went into Camp Lucy Carson, there was alarm that Morgan was coming, and without an order, the men immediately, but quietly, got their arms ready to give him a warm reception. The alarm was false, and is noted to show the spirit of the regiment. Morgan did not come, but on the 27th there were twenty live rebels brought in and put under guard, who had been captured someplace in the vicinity. Our boys paid them a visit, and gave them close inspection. They were the sort of fellows we were to fight, and we were anxious to measure them as accurately as possible. It may be that the poor fellows were cowed, and showed to disadvantage. But it is certain that their appearance very much reduced our dread of the Johnnies. These men were poorly uniformed, dirty, lousy, 
and looking absolutely honory, as the men expressed it. We were pretty well settled down to camp life. The greatest trouble was the water, which was bad and scarce. And as some other troops came up, including cavalry, the little springs along the branch near the camp were almost exhausted in spite of the most vigilant guard duty. For several days, there was not enough water, enough for cooking and drinking, to say nothing about bathing, and the prospects were that we should soon become as dirty as the rebel prisoners. You will remember, comrades, that this slippery soap-stone water dipped up from the little springs that stood almost boiling in the sun, felt like hot castor oil in the mouth, and it was almost impossible to swallow it. No wonder the camp diarrhea made progress with such stuff to drink. We will have time here, and may never have it again, to speak of that great company institution, The Mess, each company for the convenience of drawing rations, cooking, and tenting was divided into four messes, and each mess had a non-commissioned officer at its head. The messes were numbered one, two, three, and four. The men of the company formed their own messes on the principle of birds of a feather. If a man was known to be disagreeable, it was pretty hard for him to get into any mess at all, and often he could not except to get tent-room. Each mess governed its own internal affairs, and could exclude from their mess what was distasteful to them as gambling, drinking, or any manner of disorderly language or conduct. The mess, in short, was the company family, and many of them were about as well regulated as the best of families are. To each mess for cooking, there were issued three camp kettles of different sizes— three mess pans, three frying pans, a knife, a fork, a tin plate and tin cup to each man, and to some regiments a spoon to each man, but we got none. The men generally carried water in the larger kettle, boiled beans and salted bacon in the medium-sized one, and made coffee in the smallest one. Cooking was done in various ways in different messes, some would select a cook and do his duty except in battle as a compensation for his culinary services. But, as a general rule, it was not satisfactory. Some messes cooked by turns, each man taking a pull at it, and in some messes each man did his own cooking. We have known instances where fellows who were perpetual grumblers were compelled to cook and eat and grumble by themselves. Sometimes, a lot of this sort would form a mess, which those acquainted with their grumbling proclivities would dub the Grumbler's Eden, or the Happy Family. But cooking, like drilling, was soon reduced to a science, especially when the cooking utensils were reduced to a single coffee pot and a frying pan to the mess. The Sibley tent, which we first drew and held for almost a year, was a peculiar institution each tent was composed of 26 pieces, a yard wide at one end, tapering to a point at the other, and about six yards long. The tent was erected by placing the top of the pole into a socket in the center of a hoop to which the narrow ends of the tent cloth were sewed. The pole 
was then hoisted up, taking the tent with it, until the bottom of the pole rested in a socket on the top of a tripod about three feet high, set in the center of the place the tent was to occupy. It was then stretched, staked through the loops at the bottom, and declared pitched, or up. To put up, take down, and newly pack these complicated tents was hard work and quite a trick. When up, each man was assigned a strip, and one would strip was used for a door. Each man had to keep his traps under his own strip, and sleep under it at night. It was a common occurrence to see a soldier come in and order another, Get from under my strip. When we slept, we lay with our heads to the tent cloth and our feet all pointing to the tripod in the center. When it was cold, fires were built in the center of the tent, between the feet of the iron tripod. It was intended, by the inventor of this marvelous military tabernacle, that the smoke should go out at the round hole left in the top. But it generally went into the eyes and down to the throats of the men. Company K which had remained at Indianapolis to fill up, joined the regiment at this place on the 13th of August. General Dumont perpetrated so rich a joke on one of the officers of this company on the evening of its arrival that we cannot forbear telling it. The regiment was under marching orders to move the next morning. The baggage of Company K was hauled from the cars and dumped out in the place assigned it in the regiment. Amongst other things, a tremendous trunk was flopped down upon the ground. Dumont, who was standing near, eyed it a moment and asked, Great Caesar, whose trunk is that? The officer to whom it belonged promptly answered, General, that is my trunk. Dumont looked at him all up and down for the quarter of a minute and asked, Well, sir, are you a preacher? No, sir, I am not. Why did you ask? replied the puzzled possessor of the big trunk. Why, I didn't know that you were a preacher carrying your church around with you, and had the steeple inside. You should be a preacher. Chapter 8 Which we will pick up next week. They slightly longer... Uh, chapter to go over next week. So let's get into the show notes about this one. I've got a couple of interesting observations. So let's hop right into it. All right, let's take a look at these notes. So they get a colonel from another regiment. Great, seems like a nice dude. We'll have to see how he fares over the upcoming battles and running the regiment. It seems they really like him. Now, Something I got confused about was the election of a sutler. I just have not heard that before, which makes me wonder if he was a soldier settler, so he was a soldier who was also a settler, or if he just became a full-time settler for the regiment. I know that a lot of settlers were appointed, so just in case you would like to learn about some settler history, like I did after I read that, I'm going to include a great article written by Claire Kluskins from the National Archives, titled Settlers of the Civil War. And it's got a lot of useful and very entertaining information in it. 
So it's going to be in the description below. Now, I think one of the most interesting tidbits that we get here is about messes. That they had four original messes, and then the soldiers broke off into their own birds of a feather indeed. It's very, very adorable, but very true still to this day. Within any modern-day platoon, you'll have men who are grouped off with their favorite friend groups whenever they can. And also, you want to have friends while you're in the service. You do yourself no favors by fighting everyone or insulting everybody. Because then you're stuck with the grumblers. <laughs> right? So, when he said the grumblers, it made me think of Napoleon's old guard, who he called the grumblers, because they would complain all the time. But, you know, if you're not complaining, something's wrong. As my gunnery sergeant always used to say. Uh, I knew Marines who fell into this category, and I tried to be their friends at times, but they can make it hard sometimes. So, anyway. Okay. Also, can we talk about the biggest trend, historical transgression <laughs> of this chapter? That the general of the regiment plays a joke on an officer from Company K, and we are told that it happens but we don't get to hear about it. It's not written down. We just, that's it. That's the end. A little piece of human history is gone forever. Unless it's in a, a diary somewhere, somebody wrote it down. But for the rest of us, it's just gone. And I, when he said that, I, I literally yelled, no, how can you do this to me? Because quite often, it's always what it seems to be. All right. Well, that is the end of my notes. It's a kind of a felt like a, a rest week for as far as reading the history. So seems like they're finally gearing up to go. The next chapter certainly seems very busy. It's also a little bit longer. So we will pick up uh, then and there. I'm also reaching the very tail end of my schooling. My finals are a week away. So if you guys don't hear from me from a little bit, uh, that is why I'll make my transition to my new school at the end of this month. So just something to be aware of for all of you who uh, patiently wait for each episode. And also, if you haven't been to the YouTube channel, by all means, come take a look. I've just got some very interesting content up there from for all sorts of different stuff and reasons. You guys can come look at the live streams or the normal videos and all that other stuff. So. And that's just at War of the Rebellion. It's the same emblem that I have for the podcast. So it's pretty easy to spot. I think there's two channels that are named the same, War of the Rebellion. So anyway, stop on by, come take a look, and I hope to see you guys around. I'll see you next week, hopefully, if my finals don't get in the way. With that, my friends, I will catch you on the flip side. Have a great one. And Old John Brown's body episode. lies a moldering in the grave While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured all to save But though he sleeps his life was lost while struggling for the slave His soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Hallelujah, or a soul is mine.
marching on. 